Welcome listeners to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love hosted by Richard Osler. Really grateful to have my guest in my home today, um, Spencer Heinlein. Welcome to the podcast, Spencer. Thanks, Richard. Glad to be here. Will you spell your last name and say it for us so our listeners <laughs> so we get it right? Sure. It's Heilner, H-E-I-L-N-E-R. And Spencer is going to share his story as a gay Latter-day Saint. And as you know, I kind of introduce my guests and then kind of give them a chance to add or correct to that bio. But Spencer is, is 29 years old. He recently moved back to Utah. He's had a few wonderful jobs since graduating from tw- in 2016 from Brigham Young University as a biochem major. Chemical engineering. Chemical engineering major. He grew up in Plano, Texas, um, served a mission br- with br- in Brazil. One of the reasons he moved back to Utah wasn't necessarily the job because he can kind of work from wherever on this new job, but it's his love of paragliding. Tell our listeners little bit why Utah is such a great paragliding spot. Yeah, paragliding in, in Utah. Utah is awesome. Um, and, and Richard, I, you're familiar with paragliding. It's where you have a wing that's kind of crescent shaped above you and you can fly and glide for long distances. Um, and Utah is incredible with the mountains. Point of the mountain is, is awesome, but you know, especially it's just like a 20 minute drive from my house and I can basically be up in the air. So I love it. We're glad you're back in Utah and growing up in Texas, your experience with Utah has been BYU. And so, um, my wife and I love Texas. We love Utah. I married a Texan as I mentioned sometimes in the podcast. Um, Spencer, and he's going to be a little embarrassed here is one of the more thoughtful guests I've had. He's been wrestling with um, his journey as a gay Latter-day Saint for a long time. He's been writing about it. He's been thinking about it. He's been talking to people about it. At 29, he's a pretty young guy, at least compared to me, but he's been on this journey for a long time. In some ways, you're kind of old with all that you've learned and the different corners of life you've been in. And I, I think our joint prayer is that Spencer's journey will be helpful for you. Um, you that are LGBTQ, you that are parents, you that are local leaders, and that's our joint prayer. Um, part of Spencer's story I'll eventually share is really being on the brink of suicide. And that's a kind of a trigger warning, but we talk about that subject quite a bit. And I think, and Spencer ple- believes pretty strongly he would not be alive today if it wasn't for his parents and sister and brother-in-law and, and perhaps others that helped him with the very complicated questions he was wrestling with and helped him find his best path forward. Um, just so you know, Spencer believes and has received personal revelation that his best path forward, if using that language, is to find a husband and be married. And um, so you're listening to someone who, um, like some of our guests, aren't sure how their future is going to fold. Um, Spencer feels that is his future. And I like to share those stories. Um, we share stories here um, so that you'll just have better hearing other stories, I think, you helps you write your own story. And the things Spencer shares, we're trying to support and affirm all stories. Spencer also has um, a testimony of the restoration of the gospel. Many elements of the restoration are deeply meaningful to him. He'll also talk about his um, relationship with Christ and how Christ was a key component in the personal revelation he received to really um, pull him off the brink of suicide. Spencer doesn't attend church right now, but he's open to going back someday. So that's just a little bit about where Spencer is. Um, but our hope is this podcast bring us together. And Elder Cook talks about unity and diversity in one of his conference talks. So this is a podcast platform where we're trying to find unity in our differences and still bring us together as the same human family. Is that okay for an introduction, Spencer? That's great. Yeah. Thanks, Richard. Anything to correct or change? Uh, no, I would kind of add on to what you said. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I have, um, thought a lot about a lot of these topics. Uh, it was really hard for me to kind of get to the place where I am. You mentioned suicide and there've been times in my life that have been incredibly dark and, you know, I, I was, I have been there. I have been absolutely in the depths of, of darkness and and I look back on that, Spencer, and there's a lot of things I think. Um, the, the first thing is, 
you know, that I, I have so much love for that boy who was so conflicted and so troubled and, and alone and, and scared. Um, another thought is I am in such a different place right now. I, I don't recognize that boy in a lot of ways. And the reason that I say that is to anybody who is suicidal or anybody who is struggling so deeply, similarly to how I did, I know because I've been there that things can change dramatically and you can find real joy and hope, even though at some point it seems just so hopeless. And listeners, I w- we'll come back to that. Um, I think we want to revisit why you got there and what you did and what helped you get out of there. Sometimes the people that can be the most people are the people that know that road firsthand, and certainly Spencer does. I don't know if you're going to start before your mission in Texas, just, you know, coming to terms with your sexual orientation. Um, all the things, perhaps, as you realized you weren't straight, you were trying to do to become straight, or just wherever you want to start, Spencer. Sure. Uh, and I also just want to say, Richard, thanks again, because you're awesome and appreciate you being willing to strengthen the community so much. And, and your podcast has been so helpful for me. Thank so, you. So I guess starting off from the very beginning, I uh, grew up in Texas, pretty normal kid, I think. I was a little bit nerdy, to be honest. I really liked math and science uh, and um, super into, into chemistry and things. Um, I ran cross country in high school, had friends, you know, like fishing, spent a lot of time outside. But uh, typical to many gay Latter-day Saints, just absolutely conflicted on the inside and, and had a really difficult time with my sexuality. I can remember from about 10 years old, I began having attractions to guys. There were people in my classes, um, on my sports teams. They, um, the attraction um, was kind of unexpected, and I was in a ton of denial the whole time. I absolutely refused to acknowledge that that was who I was, was gay. Uh, I was really active in the church and had a lot of great experiences um, and developed a really strong testimony of some core gospel truths. And I value that a lot. Um, and, and the way that I approached homosexuality was very much, that's not me. That's just, it's something that I'm feeling right now, but I'm confused and it's not real. It's not lasting. I just need to have more faith. Um, getting into, you know, a, a little bit of, of the issues that I faced that were really challenging for me. I, uh, I've always had this approach of wanting to figure stuff out. I'm super analytical and, and like to think through things from beginning to end. And as I started like noticing, Hey, this is, this is kind of a problem that's not going away or it's, it's a part of me that is real that I don't think aligns with church teachings. and so. Let me try to figure this out or understand it better. And unfortunately, what I did um, in, in, at that time was I began delving into, long story short, I was reading The Miracle of Forgiveness, but also writings of Bruce R. McConkie. And, and I ate it up. I just embraced them. I was trying to understand who I was, what I was. And, and Nathan Kitchens, president of Affirmation, wrote a really interesting article uh, a little while ago called The Rise of the uh, Celebrated Celibate and Single Member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'm paraphrasing the title, but uh, exactly that, how the church's teachings have sort of changed over time. Um, There have been four generations of teachings on homosexuality. The first was the, what, what he calls the miracle of forgiveness era, where um, leaders of the church and, and church policy and doctrine was there's no distingu- or no difference between homosexual feelings and acting on homosexual feelings. And basically, you know, any homosexual thought or feeling or inclination was sinful and needed to be very quickly eliminated from a person. Um, 
the, the next generation was um, the silent generation where the where members of the church that were uh, LGBT were in, encouraged to not speak up or really talk about their sexual orientation and identity. Um, and the church began teaching that mixed orientation marriages were a very good idea. Um, and, and, you know, they worked for some people, but that was something that began to be taught in that era. Uh, again, I'm just paraphrasing. And then the third generation was the same sex attracted generation, which is sort of, as I was coming to age, the predominant narrative in the church where uh, don't, don't define yourself as being gay, but say that you have this attraction that is something that you can deal with and manage, but it's not really part of your identity. And then finally, we're in this era where the church's teaching has evolved a third time, um, its fourth era, to um, you know, just be single and celibate and alone for the rest of your life. So just calling that out that uh, that's exactly right what I'm talking about is uh, church teachings have changed over time. And I, um, this is a podcast where we're trying to, we know better, we do better. And I think it's a fair suggestion that we, when we do change a teaching or a policy that we directly call out what we are no longer teaching. I remember as I connected to this space, um, it's probably been five, six years ago and in a more thoughtful way, there were a lot of things that I had to call out within myself, Spencer that I had just not realized as I went even just to the church's website that I didn't realize the church was teaching things that I had not realized that I just sort of built my hard drive as I was learning about this issue, probably in my twenties, thirties, forties. And that was kind of, I was at the finish line and what I was going to learn about this space. And then just going to the church's website, I realized that I had work to do, but I wish that I had been proactively educated at some point in a conference talk or a leadership meeting or a come follow me lesson or something that was part of the organized curriculum. This is what the church is teaching and this is what we're not teaching. So make sure you're not teaching any of this stuff because we need to make sure we've moved on from that. So I agree with that. I think that's just something we can do better with. So you're doing a good job of telling your story keep sharing wherever you want to go. I'd love to get to your mission and I'd love to get to sort of this intense now that you're, I also recognize leaders. What Spencer did was pretty logical. He went to your, went to the church for resources on how to deal with this. And that in a way, because you're reading stuff, you know, that you wouldn't maybe be, maybe you'd be reading better stuff now. I'm careful there because the other stuff, the older stuff is still available. So maybe not, but you did put you in a really dark spot. So just talk about, you know, making your way forward. Yeah. Thanks. Um, so as a teenager, I was, you know, really active in the church and had a really great experience in a lot of ways. I developed a really strong testimony of, a lot of gospel doctrine and, and key truths. I can remember when I was, I can't remember exactly, but 12 or 13 or 14, President Hinckley issued the challenge to read the Book of Mormon by the end of the year. And um, I took the challenge and it ended up being like, you know, December 15th and I was only in like Mosiah or something like that. Um, <laughs> But I had committed to myself that I was going to finish the Book of Mormon by the end of the year. Um, but, so long story short, I started reading a lot. Uh, one night, I can remember sitting in my bed reading. I probably read 15 or 20 chapters that night. But as I was reading, I noticed I was getting these feelings of just really great peace and happiness. and you know, Nephi talks about truth being delicious to him. That's exactly the way I would describe this experience is as I read the words and, and what I was reading and the testimony of Jesus that was on the pages that I was reading just became really delicious and wonderful to me. And they, they continued to get stronger. At the end of that night, I knelt down on my knees next to my bed. 
And my heart was full of gratitude. And I just said, Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you so much for my relationship with you, for all the blessings that you've given me, for the Book of Mormon and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I am so blessed to have this restored doctrine. Thank you so much. And that prayer was amazing. And it was, I, I developed early on a really strong testimony of four, do, four gospel principles and, and was really grateful for that. So, you know, to your point, looking for explanations and trying to sort out my sexuality, which was a very difficult topic, I went to the church because I had this belief that I could find the truth there. So um, I guess hitting some of the highlights, um, I never wanted to date in high school at all. I knew I had to get married someday, but I pictured myself at BYU one day, like with this very business-like transactional approach to dating. And it just felt so abnormal and, and so terrifying to me. And <laughs> I mean, I guess dating can be intimidating for anyone, but my heart just was not in it. Um, and I look back and just laugh because um, I, there, there was no part of me that ever wanted to uh, really, you know, marry a woman in the temple and, and have that relationship. And, um, but in, in a lot of ways, it's sad that I had those feelings, but that's kind of how it was. Um, I also had, you know, this experience of trying to find answers to my sexuality and had a lot of guilt and shame associated with that but I was very faithful and active. Fast forward, uh, my freshman year, I went to the University of Texas at Austin, um, was getting ready for a mission and was incredibly lost, uh, conflicted, confused, had a hard time about my sexuality and felt really guilty because I had this miracle of forgiveness type of mindset. I am gay. I have these homosexual feelings. They are so strong. And, you know, President Kimball was a prophet, the head of the church, the, the Lord's mouthpiece. This must be right, what he was teaching. And, and others, two or three witnesses, there were more than two or three. Um, and um, I remember going to my bishop at the time. Great man, good person. But unfortunately, it was one of the most traumatizing experiences of my life. Um, you know, I, I told him about how I was feeling and, and my concerns and things, and I, not getting into all the details, but I had this really unfortunate experience where I nearly vomited multiple times in his office. The, the rhetoric was so harsh. The voice was elevated. The, there was nothing good about what I was or who I was or what I was feeling. And I can remember walking home from some of those meetings. One, one in particular, I got back to my dorm room. Nobody else was around. There was a mirror on the walls, just a narrow mirror. I'd look at clothes and things. And I was really sad and really beaten up. And I looked in the mirror And I couldn't see my face. I could only see blackness. I guess, in brief, just such a hard experience that I had. My, um, you know, the bishop said he took the approach of, I'm paraphrasing, but get everything bad that you've ever done or ever thought out on the table and let's repent of it, which was a very punitive repentance, by the way, so that you're going to be an awesome missionary that's going to be completely free and no, no load on your back at all. Isn't that great? Well, yeah, it's, it's good to be, you know, a worthy, confident missionary, but the, um, that is kind of, how things went to that point. I guess, thank you for taking us to your dorm room. 
that was kind of a sacred moment, Spencer, and alone in those stark dorm rooms looking at that skinny mirror and no one should feel the way you felt in front of that mirror. And I think it's good you shared that experience because I think you're going to help us understand how you got out of that feeling and are seeing something different in the mirror now. And even if you went into that dorm room somewhere, if that dorm room still exists and that mirror is still on that wall, you would see something very different right now than roughly 10 years ago. Our listeners may be curious if you went on a mission and how the mission went. So I don't know if you want to talk about that because you're in a dark, tough spot right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I did go on a mission. I served in Campinas, Brazil. It was really awesome. Um, on my mission, I had a very different experience with my mission president. I talked with him about some of these feelings. I, I had very appropriate and good relationships with my companions. Um, but, um, you know, halfway through my mission or, or maybe even closer to the end, I really was having a hard time with, um, with who I was and, and what I felt. And uh, I remember calling up mission president saying, hey, I really need to talk to you. Uh, and we were far away, but in any case, um, he said, yeah, come on in. And I remember just sobbing in that interview and barely being able to speak. And finally, after a couple of minutes, I'm, I'm sure my mission president was alarmed because he probably thought I had broken the law of chastity or killed someone or something because I was distraught and absolutely in such, having such a hard time. Um, but finally, I managed to sort of choke out the words, I am not gay. That's what I told him. I said, I'm not gay. But I'm having such a hard time. And this is what I'm feeling. And that's really the, my approach was, this is not me. I, you know, I struggle with this, but just have a little more faith. Uh, and, and it was really hard for me to admit it. That was the first time where I really um, was super honest with myself to say, hey, these feelings are a problem. And it was enough for me to go to an ecclesiastical leader about them. Um, but the reaction of my mission president couldn't have been better. He was absolutely amazing. He said, Elder, thank you so much for coming. I know what you're sharing is so hard. I'm so sorry. What I, he didn't have an answer. <laughs> we talked briefly about it. He said, long, long story short, it was basically just like, you know, hey, this is, this is what it is. But I felt so much love in that moment. And it helped me go forward because of his reaction. It's very different from the reaction I was expecting. Courage and respect for talking to another priesthood leader. <laughs> I'm not a therapist, but the trauma that first one would generally keep you from ever wanting to talk to another priesthood leader, just a sign of your character and your courage. And also what a difficult spot you're in that you had to talk to somebody, even though you could have the same experience. But how beautiful that experience was, your mission president. He didn't say a lot. No. It's not like it was an hour discussion it sounds like but what he said was so helpful to you um and that he didn't have all the answers was maybe better than trying to over to have the answers sometimes that's better than potentially giving misinformation that is easy to potentially give in this space um thanks for serving a mission in the middle of all of this there's people in brazil that are closer to christ because of you companions and members people you taught the world's just a better place in that part of the world because of your service but keep talking about your mission if you want to or coming home and the decision to come to byu and kind of where things eventually sounds like they got worse at some point yeah that's right uh yeah so i i, I talked with my mission president um uh near the end of my mission i came out to my parents for the first time um, I was in this really distant place and I told my parents, I said, Hey, I'm feeling same sex attraction and I don't know what it is or where it came from or how, how it is so strong and what to do. 
and um, I just don't feel worthy. And it's not only that I'm not acting on it, it's just that I have these feelings in the base case, you know. And, you know, Richard, if, if you think about what the church teaches about eternal life, which I believe, which is, you know, heaven is wonderful and amazing and celestial kingdom and eternal increase um, versus you going to a lesser kingdom. It's a really big contrast. And I was thinking, starting to think about coming home from my mission on, after honorably serving. Um, at the end of two years and thought, well, what, what will my life look like? And I didn't have an answer and it really scared me. So I wrote this letter to my parents and I said, I'm having time, but this is what's happening. And I was really grateful that they had such a wonderful reaction. They're like, we understand. Thank you for telling us. Um, you're so strong. You're so inspired. You're helping so many people come home. We're in, in a few months and we'll help you and we'll get you therapy and we'll do everything. We'll walk every step of the way with you. And we can maybe talk more about this, Richard, but I really feel like my parents and my sister and my brother-in-law, my family are the champions of my story. They saved me and I'm so grateful for them. I'll become straight. You're really doing a good job of just being so honest about your story. Mm. And even think you're just doing a great job spencer and i just my feeling is there are people that are just experiencing the exact same thing and the fact you're putting words to it and talking about it is helping them not to feel alone and feeling hope which is a great gift you're giving to people just sharing your story um and and i i love that too i really do hope one of my biggest regrets is that it took me so long to come out. But really what I mean to say there is it took me so long to come around and believe in the grace of Jesus and fully trust him and finally get the faith to receive revelation that I was on the right path. I would love to go back and just talk with 21-year-old Spencer. 21-year-old Spencer was a great person and was, you know, interesting and, and, and cool on the surface, but inside just absolutely eaten up and, and really struggling. And I would have loved to talk to Spencer. And, but 21-year-old um, Spencer was a little bit of a spiritual extremist. Hard for me to put a label on it, but let me describe what I mean. 21-year-old Spencer did everything of the Sunday school answers. He read his scriptures, he went to church, he prayed, fasted, his tithing. 21-year-old Spencer also went to the temple every week, but often more than once a week. 21-year-old Spencer would fast but he would also fast every Sunday. And many times he would fast for 48 hours. 21-year-old Spencer wrote lengthy letters to himself or, or just journal entries. 21-year-old Spencer wrote lengthy journal entries about how being gay was so wrong and studied all of the words of these past presidents and prophets of the church. and fully believed that he was condemned and the only thing that uh, I could do was beg God for deliverance. There was, um, actually Richard, I'd love to just read a quick quote um, from the Miracle of Forgiveness in case there is uh, a listener out there that doesn't know sort of the prescription. With the Miracle of Forgiveness, which I fully espoused, um, President Kimball talks about how homosexuality is the crime against nature. And he says specifically, quote, if you pray hard enough, fast hard enough, and are a good enough Mormon, your sexual orientation will change. And that caused me incredible pain because I, I was doing all that stuff, Richard. I was 
uh, you know, I laugh about it, but it's quite sad. Um, I was absolutely miserable and doing everything I could. So I was at BYU uh, and I was having um, all these experiences. I really wanted to get married before I graduated, but that definitely wasn't going to happen, even though I tried. Dated some wonderful women that were beautiful and really fun, but they were more just friends and, um, you know, really grateful that I was able to get to know them. But I graduated and I didn't get to, I wasn't married. I went on this really cool trip. Uh, <laughs> I visited 30 countries in three months. And then I started working as an engineer at ExxonMobil, um, where I was an engineer on offshore oil platforms in the Gulf of Mexico. So every week I would fly out on a helicopter, live out on the platforms for seven days. It was really fun in a lot of ways. Um, out on the platforms, it was a bit like the wild, wild west. Got some really colorful characters out there. Uh, and, and I was having a good time. Um, but it was helpful because it was really distracting. And that's what I was trying to do in my life at that point was I, didn't, I was in a situation that felt impossible. There was no right answer. And I didn't really want to face it. And so I was very career oriented and just trying to work hard and hoping, you know, that I could figure it out down the line and was kind of tired of, of thinking about how to resolve it to that point. Uh, I worked on offshore platforms for a little while, and then I got transferred to work at a refinery and moved to Louisiana. Uh, we kind of talked about, Richard, how before my mission, I had a really bad experience with a well-meaning bishop that really kind of traumatized me and scared me. I had done uh, some due diligence on the YSA ward in Baton Rouge. This is completely unfair of me to say because I had never talked to the man. But I had heard by looking or talking with members of that ward and, and connections that I had that the bishop of that YSA ward might not be very understanding or kind towards my situation. And that really scared me. Um, I had always been active in the church, but that one experience before my mission was too much. It really brought me down the lowest of lows. So the Saturday before my first Sunday there, I was thinking a lot about it, and I decided not to go to church for the first time in my life. Um, Sunday came and went, talked with my parents on the phone. I was church. I said, I didn't go. And I think they were surprised because, you know, I was, I was super active previously. It was weird. Um, anyway, I, I told myself, well, I'm still thinking about it and I hope I'll get back to it. But in the coming weeks, I never went back to church. Again, not fair of me to do that because the bishop could have been wonderful. And again, the church, it shouldn't be about that, right? But um, my fear of that whole experience. Talk about. I want to get to this segment of just where you got to this brink of suicide. I don't know. I don't want to rush your story, Spencer, but I love, I think our listeners would love to hear that part of your story and sort of what you got you off the brink, yeah. especially for listeners that are on the brink. Yeah. So as I mentioned earlier, I'm really grateful for my parents and sister and brother-in-law. I as I was struggling more and more and had more and more issues, I began reaching out to them more and more and telling them what was going on. And um, it was in Louisiana that I began having suicidal thoughts for the first time. The reason that I didn't do it, I think is kind of funny, is, well, there, there are probably two or three reasons. The first one is, it would have killed me to hurt my family like that. I, I know they would have been heartbroken and I wouldn't want to do that to them. The second reason is they were, I wasn't completely alone. 
they were incredibly empathetic and helpful and they reached out to me and but you know during this time i was having a lot of suicidal thoughts and my sister was really cool so she was at byu at the time and obviously very concerned and i think it was really divinely inspired and orchestrated but she was in a class with this guy who was reading an article essay written by Bryce Cook and you know a lot of your listeners are probably familiar with it but um it, it's really interesting and helpful and talks about how homosexuality could potentially fit within the framework of the church and Bryce if you're listening I'm sorry I'm paraphrasing and maybe um putting uh words in your mouth but what I was what I kind of took away from it was that there is doctrinal basis for it to potentially be okay to be gay. Um, and that could fit within the church. So my sister happened across this guy and found this article and shared it with me and my family because we were kind of all going through this together. And my immediate reaction was, no way. There's no way that this is right or true. Because, you know, recently Elder Oaks had given a talk. It was not his most recent talk about homosexuality and, and um, how acting on that was wrong. But, you know, this was several years ago and Elder Oaks had given a talk about how it, it would not be right for me to marry a man. And I was stuck. And my parents, and sister and brother-in-law like wow this is really interesting and i remember my mom calling me one afternoon and she's like well don't you think that maybe you know it'll be okay and that jesus is going to cover you if this is a sin and you're miserable right now men are that they might have joy this doesn't seem right and i was like no no way a prophet of god is wrong and i stuck to that which was so sad because all I did was stay stuck and sad and, and having suicidal thoughts. And um, it was incredibly harmful to me. Thanks for being so honest with that and the role your family's trying to play in your life. And I think from what you've told me, all these people around you are active LDS yeah. <laughs> um, that are praying as your sister and as your parents for inspiration to help you make your way forward and they're recognizing and they're really scared and you're doing a good job of not closing them off and listeners i think it's important for any of you that are in this situation is that one of the things spencer did here is he did keep the communication channel open with family and they kept the communication channel open backward you know with you and it sounds like they were trying to learn all they could to do the very best they can to give you the information for you to make decisions going forward. And one of the greatest gifts we can give each other is hope. Um, and I think there's some hope being given to you and in, in what they're sharing with you. Yeah. I, I've had quite a few friends that are gay uh, that have, had much different experiences with their family. And I don't mean to in any way um, be judgmental, but I've had friends who have unfortunately, and, and we probably, many of us have know these experiences, but their parents will freak out when they say, when, when their child talks to them about same gender attraction or homosexuality or whatever word that they choose. Um, and there is a very different reaction from the one that I had with my parents. I've had friends who have been essentially just very harshly criticized by their parents and, and, and told that, well, until the prophet has some kind of revelation, there's no way that what you're going to do is a right, you know, embrace your homosexuality, whatever the case may be. I actually had a friend who, um, a few years ago, somebody I knew committed suicide because he was gay and he did not have support and he did not see a way out. 
And I certainly don't blame his parents because I really struggled with it myself, <laughs> knowing what was right. Uh, how could the prophets be wrong? But, um, you know, my parents and, and my family's support of actually being in the moment with me and going all the way deep into what I was feeling, what I was thinking, what my choices were, and helping me think through what were the options, that was what kept me going. And I, I really appreciated it. Do your parents and family know your plans are to marry a man, and how are they processing that? And- yeah. That's funny you asked the question, Richard. I, I would say, maybe this isn't fair, but they were encouraging me totally, um, you know, appropriately to come out long before I came out. Or in other words, um, skipping ahead a little bit, uh, I moved to Los Angeles and I was living, uh, I was traveling for work a ton, but I um, had home base with my sister and brother-in-law in Los Angeles and we had a lot of really long conversations about what I should do in life. Um, we, one night in particular, I had been working in Kazakhstan actually for six months. I was on assignment there. I came back every two weeks for a period of 48 hours. It was insane. <laughs> but uh, on one of my 48 hour breaks after just taking a 24 hour flight from Adarao, Kazakhstan to Los Angeles to be with my, be at home for 48 hours. Me and my sister and brother-in-law were having a conversation and they shared with me some articles published by Bill Bradshaw. Uh, I found on, or they found on the Encircle website. And I really appreciated that they were not just, oh, we're so sorry that you feel this way and it must be so hard. But they put me or they put themselves in my shoes and tried to help me think what I should do. And they were not prescriptive and they were not trying to convince me one way or the other, but they were asking questions and making observations. Spencer, do you really think that Jesus wants you to live this way? Uh, And and we had a lot of great conversations, but um, one of these, uh, I guess I'd summarize it by saying my family I think came to the revelation sooner than I did that this could, that maybe it would be right for me to embrace my homosexuality and marry a man and have a family and that that could be wholly okay in the gospel plan uh, much sooner than I did. So, uh, and I guess it is worth saying, you know, my dad was a bishop at the time and my brother-in-law was in a bishopric. And they are incredibly devout members of the church and they're wonderful. But I really appreciated that they were willing to face an impossible question with me. Wow. Can we just face an impossible question with you? That's a really powerful statement. The word with there is really important. It's not, we're answering it for you face it with you. There's some symbolism about their walking with you and the complexities of your situation. I love where you said they went on a deep dive to learn all they could just so they could walk better with you in a non-prescriptive way. There's beautiful family ministering principles there. I love that. I do too, Richard. I, I love my family and I am so grateful for them. And they are absolutely the reason I am alive today. If family are listening, you know, I mean, it's a credit to you that you've been able to walk with Spencer. And it sounds like sometimes it's easier to, I just recognize you have all this internalized homophobia that you weren't born with. And perhaps you have more of it because you were so thoughtful. Your engineering side of your brain took you on a deep dive to learn all you could about this. It's the kind of the why you're wired to learn that way and you're wired to understand the complexity of a situation. And I think as you're sharing with us, that may have increased the amount of internalized homophobia that came into you because of 
what you read <laughs> and also your commitment to do what was right. And, and maybe I'm just hypothesizing here, your parents and family could see your best path forward, even though they wanted you to make that decision for yourself. Talk a little bit about, and you've sent me some stuff ahead of time, why you don't think it's good for you to be alone and why you think marriage to a man um, helps you experience the growth that you feel is part of your mortal experience and, and kind of your hopes and why that feels to you to be the path of growth and the path of coming closer to your Savior and some of the things that just are unique in your story. Yeah, for sure. Um, <clears throat> I can vividly remember a late night conversation with my sister and brother-in-law. Like I said, I was um, living, uh, we, we were essentially roommates. And um, one night we talked about the four choices I had in life. The first one would be to be single and celibate in the church and live um, keeping the the letter of the laws as was taught by the general authorities and um, keep the commandments, not break any commandments. Then there was an option to enter a mixed orientation marriage or date a woman and, and have that experience, that path. Another path would be to marry a man. And then the final path would be to um, sort of leave the church and give up on God and just marry or date a man or whatever and have a relationship where it was not at all Christ-centered. And uh, those were my four paths. And we laid out pros and cons, got like a big piece of paper even, and like charted this out um, with the path to be in the church. Um, some of the pros were, I knew I wasn't going to be breaking any commandments. I knew I was living the letter of the law and like God couldn't fault me for that. Right. So probably meant I was going to go to heaven. The cons were, I was absolutely miserable and lonely and conflicted and alone. I'm not very eloquent or good at describing this, but, um, sexuality is just such a big, important part of a person. And uh, I really can't even articulate it right now, but this was such an imminent um, problem that I was trying to resolve. It, 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 it would have been very difficult for me to take that path in the church to be single and celibate for me personally. So that was option one. Option two, marrying a woman, mixed orientation marriage. There are many people that do that, and I fully support them. You know, I think everybody has different personal circumstances and attractions and, and, and meets different people. Um, I had dated lots of girls, and the number that I had been like, I had a, they were great friends and, and wonderful people, but I just didn't feel anything. And I, I knew that I could not have a mixed orientation marriage. The next option would be marrying a man. And I'll actually come back to that one really quick. But the final option would be to sort of live this life of, you know, godlessness, leave the church, just completely give up on all the good that I had learned um, and my testimony. And now coming to the option of marrying a man. Some of the key points, what we figured out were. Jesus taught that the first and greatest commandment is to love God and to love your neighbor above all else. And I've also learned that in order to do that, you have to love yourself. You have to be able to look outward, but you really can't do that until you're personally at peace and feel complete and whole. And in contrast to when I was trying to um, be straight. When I was trying to be straight, I hated myself. I thought, wow, you are so broken. You're so evil. You're wrong and unnatural. 
And in those periods of my life, it's really sad, but I wasn't very loving to people outside me because I had to focus all of my energy and effort inwardly to try to keep it together, to be righteous enough so that God would change me. And so, you know, love is the essence of the gospel. It is the number one commandment from God. And the path of me trying to either be straight or be alone and celibate were paths not aligned with God's greatest commandment. So that was one really important piece. A couple of other important ones. Brian, my brother-in-law, um, it was great. We talked about scripture where Jesus says or condemns um, Jewish leaders at the time because they were neglecting the weightier matters of the law. So, you know, as we look back, the Pharisees, um, the leader of God, the leaders of God's people at the time, I believe they really were probably well-meaning men. They believed in God. They wanted other people to do good and, and be in line with God's laws. But they completely lost the mark and created all of these extra rules around the gospel that had been given. And Jesus wasn't happy with them because they were neglecting the weightier matters of the law, what really mattered. And... Um, which includes, I think, love. And we're getting lost um, in minutia. We talk a lot about Eve. And Eve is probably my favorite person in the Bible or, you know, standard works besides Jesus. I am so inspired and encouraged by Eve. Looking, looking at her situation. So they were in the Garden of Eden. And they had an impossible decision, which actually I used those same words just a minute ago. You need to multiply and replenish the earth, procreate. And Adam and Eve, you also are not allowed to eat of the fruit of knowledge, of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Those two commandments directly contradicted each other. It was an impossible situation. And I really identified with Adam and Eve because I felt like it was so similar. And so I said, or I, I thought, Eve was incredibly courageous. She made a decision to break a commandment of God to fulfill a higher commandment. And I thought, huh, that is so interesting that in some situations, maybe it's better to break one commandment to be able to keep another. Um, and I just loved her faith because that is not easy. That's one other thing, Richard, that is something that I appreciate when, well, my parents did it, but others do it too, is when you really think about this problem with me, like, um, better said, there are a lot of people that express sympathy. There are many fewer that express empathy, unfortunately. And what does that, what does empathy require? It means go where I am, come where I am, be with me and walk with me. And uh, I'm so appreciative to have had people that will do that with me in my life, but um, if we really think about it as members of the church, people who are put in these situations, besides even being gay, of having to face an impossible situation, a direct contradiction where there's, on first glance, no good answer, um, I think it's, it's just incredible that Eve had the faith to make that decision to step out on a limb and eat of the fruit of the tree. So I, I take a tremendous amount of inspiration. And when I think about what Adam and Eve did, they kept the end in mind and they were looking to be the best disciples that they possibly could or the most faithful children that they possibly could. 
they made a choice that broke a commandment, but it was a choice that took them forward. They prioritized progression and growth. And I think that is exactly what God wanted them to do. In the scriptures, I mean, we know that this life is a time for men to prepare to meet God. Um, we know that we are supposed to love. We know that we are supposed to be kind and serve and learn and grow and have families. Or the other alternative I was considering was being alone and celibate for the rest of my life. And in DNC 19, in the Bible dictionary, it talks about the definition of damnation. And damnation is defined as a halting of progression. It's standing still. It's not moving forward. And I, what has become my rallying cry or my measuring stick to figure out what to do in life, it is what is the thing that brings me closer to God, independent of any law or any teaching or any opinion or practice. It is personal revelation, the fruits of the Spirit. And I, I love how we learn in the scriptures that the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, hope. Um, it was at this point in time where I was talking a lot with my, with my family, and we were really facing these tough questions together. And the prospect of going outside of the church and going against these doctrines. The way that I finally was able to feel good about and make that jump was how the Holy Ghost made me feel. Considering where I had been, um, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but I really feel like it's a night and day difference. Um, I came very close to the edge. And I do not recognize that self, that self because in the end, what I have done is I have gone to God and asked what I should do. And look at the wonderful things that happened because Joseph Smith asked that question. And if we as members of the church ask these types of questions frequently, I know that there will, be there will continue to be wonderful things that happen in the kingdom and in people's lives. And like I said, I don't feel like I have everything figured out, but I know that God loves me. Heavenly Father loves me for it. So I'm, I'm really grateful for the heritage of faith that I have received in Windsor Correct. I look forward to continuing revelation as God continues to bless his children with more light and knowledge as we continue to grow up and become more like him. Thank you, Spencer. And I'll give you time for one last comment. And, you know, this is a podcast series, listeners, where we're just sharing lots of stories and every story is different. Um, every story has principles that Spencer and I hope help you as you make your way forward. There's no one podcast that I would hope that everybody agrees with everything you've heard. If there's things that deeply resonate with you in this podcast, that's great. If there's things that don't resonate with you, that's fine too. We're just trying to talk about this in a respectful way. Um, the way I frame this up is, you know, for the listeners that aren't familiar with me, I'm, you know, an active member of the church, deeply committed to church, supportive of our leaders. And I just invite everybody to follow church teachings and follow the leaders. But I also, particularly with LGBTQ individuals, do what I think your family did for you is just help you um, self-determine the best way forward for you and support you in that journey and practice the doctrine of our church, which I think you taught in this podcast from Christ is to love and support and leave any judgment to our Savior. And so that's, if you're a new listener, that's how I reconcile it. So what do I, do I worry about Spencer and his future? No. I just honor his personal revelation. Do I look over his shoulder and judge his personal revelation? No. I just support him. He's been on a pretty tough journey. Um, I recognize where he was um, on the brink of suicide and where he is now. And there's fruits of that that are consistent with just 
you know, what I think people making good decisions. Would I say Spencer's story, and Spencer didn't say this, would I say Spencer's story should be your story? No. Um, Spencer's pretty supportive. I hope you got that of people in mixed orientation marriages, people that are celibate. Spencer didn't invite active Latter-day Saints to leave the church. Um, his family's in the church. He's nowhere off the record or on the record. As he said, well, leave the church with me if you're really going to support me. And he's nodding his head here. He hasn't. So this is a podcast about creating grace and space and understanding. Do I think our leaders are wrong on this? Do I think our doctrine will change? I don't know is the best way I can frame that up. Might be a little different what Spencer said, but I want to honor what Spencer said. I I just don't know God's will and I don't and I'm not a leader of the church. I do feel we're not at the finish line. The this the example I use is the church's relationship with its LGBTQ members like a 40 chapter book. I don't know what chapter we're in. I don't know if doctrine will change in subsequent chapters, but it could. As you pointed out, it has in the past. I wouldn't want to build false hope, and Spencer didn't do this, that you should make decisions on a feeling that doctrine will change. Spencer hasn't done that. He's just made a decision based on what he feels is best path forward. He didn't say, someday the church will actually match my personal revelation. Um, so I don't think either of us want to create that feeling, but to me, chapter 40 just represents where straight members and gay members or queer members or LGBTQ members are having the same experience, have the same hopes, same dreams, same balm of Gilead. And I think we can all be honest that straight members, Spencer, if you were straight coming back from your mission, I mean, there's no doubt in my mind where you'd be. You've wanted that dream of a wife and kids and to fully participate in the church. Look how you served. There's no question in my mind that if you were straight, where you'd be. And this has just been an impossible paradox for you. And I think you've done a great job. So particularly for LGBTQ members, I just let them self-determine and recognize we just have more chapters to write. And chapter 40 represents where your path is as clear as a straight person's path and your hopes and dreams. and Church is the balm of Gilead. And, and another example I use is a mom learning she's got a gay son or gay daughter is not full of fear for their future in the church or the world. And I think, I think we'll get to that point, <laughs> um, but we just, we have a ways to go. And obviously you're not having the same experience as you were if you were straight. So that's how I frame this up, listeners. It's just we like to talk about really complicated topics on this podcast. We want to be a safe place. And, um, you know, Spencer has come incredibly prepared. He has thought about this. He's prayed about it. He has wrestled with this for over a decade. And um, I think our prayers that his story and his insights, and a lot of them are based on the scriptures, um, personal revelation. I think it's, you know, you did mention that fourth path where you basically just leave God. Um, I hope all our listeners just recognize that, that that anchor of Christ is such a big part of your life and personal revelation. And if I'm a parent of a LGBT kid who does feel their path is um, not in the church, that's one of the things I would hope that I could as a parent, um, if possible, but would hope that they would be where you are, is you have this relationship with God and the Savior. And it's a credit to you. It's a credit to your family that that part of your life continues because I think God loves you and I think he'll continue to talk to you and continue to guide you. And I don't worry about you. I, you're in a great spot. And um, I think your older self will look back at this year and say, you worked really hard to get in this spot, but I think you're in the best spot you've ever been, Spencer, that makes the rest of your life possible. And the other thing that's remarkable about your story that you, is that you've accomplished all this with your career, with the challenge of just this personal journey. It's a credit your whole career didn't fall apart. <laughs> um, but, you know, you've got this great career going um, that you've managed to keep going wrestling with this. And it's a credit to you. And now that you're so at peace with this and know your path forward, I think that your path forward is just going to be a beautiful path for you and your entire family. And this is in some ways a family love story. 
And if your family's listening, this is a great credit to you and what you've done for your son and brother and friends of Spencer that are listening to just be with him. Some of the language you heard was deeply moving for me that I've forgotten now. <laughs> um, and this is what it's all about, is the same human family supporting and loving. So I'll turn it back to Spencer for any final thoughts. Yeah, well, I, I just want to say thanks, Richard, so, so much. I am really grateful for people, the people around me, people like my family who have helped tremendously and who have gone there with me and helped me ask these really difficult questions. And I'm really grateful for people like you who have helped so much in the community and helped us all ask these questions and find the support that we need. So thank you, Spencer. So this is Spencer. Heilner and Richard Osler signing off on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.